Bitcoin DMZ episode 10. We've made it to 10. I'm Ken Rakowski over in Los Angeles, California. And joining me only a few miles or kilometers away is Mr. William Quigley as we come to you to talk to you about what's going on in the crypto ICO token, whatever you want to call it space. But we're here for you once to twice a week. Before we dive into it, William, we are finishing today's show or doing today's show. The end, it's the first week of February and uh, the stock market closed today, actually on upbeat news. So here in the United States, the stock market fell by 600 plus points because the, at least the initial report was unemployment went down even more. 200,000 jobs uh, were filled, and um, the economy feels that interest rates might go up. Now, yeah, but this is interesting. 600 plus points in one day in the stock market is insane. It's crazy, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you've got a lot, a lot of good news about the economy. I'm always wary of uh, consistent good news about the economy because I remember in 2007 things seemed really good too, and uh, it always seems just when you're not looking, you know, things collapse. But yeah, uh, positive news. Um, the market took a hit, but you know, relatively speaking, you know, that's why you always got to be careful about these point point moves because you know the Dow is at what 25,000 now. You know, when we think about like you go, wow, 600 points. That's only two, it's only two and a half percent. Two and a half percent, right? So it's like, well, all right. I mean, in the crypto world, that's that that happens at every 15 seconds, right? So <laughs> it does. Two and a half percent, you don't even measure it. But that's why uh, I wanted to bring this up. Do you see any correlation with the stock market and the crypto market? I don't. I mean, other than uh, uh, completely by coincidence. I don't. I don't see anything. The stock market is a, you know, is a ninety trillion dollar, you know, publicly traded companies across the world. Uh, you know, it's uh, Bitcoin is half a trillion. So I don't. I don't see a lot of, of similarities or okay. crossover. We're gonna take today's show and split it into two halves. Part one is all around the current news that's going on, some cool insights on what different country governments are doing, plus what you should do around taxes and crypto. And the second part of the show, we're going to give you some insights on what you should do if you've decided to go the ICO route, the initial something offering. And we'll talk about that too, because that C might mean something different. And we'll dive into that. So again, William Quigley, who is a from a venture capitalist to a hardcore crypto guy. His company is called Opskins, which is, I, I would say, it's what the largest uh, first-person uh, shooter game skin company. First-person everything skins. If you want skins on the Steam platform, you go to Opskins. Am I right? Yeah, it's it's a, it's like eBay. It's a marketplace where you can buy and sell. Uh, digital items. We don't we don't sell physical items. We sell uh, decals, uh, digital decals and stickers, like emojis and sorts. Uh, they're called skins in the video game world, and we sell a lot of them to a lot of customers across the world. And you do have the title of on the retail side, specifically on Bitcoin 
probably being one of the largest merchants that uh, exchanges in Bitcoin on a regular basis, right? Yeah, I, we are the largest uh, e-commerce company in the world that accepts uh, uh, cryptos, uh, Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin and now Wax, and uh, allows people when they sell their items on our marketplace to cash out in those things so we actually know a lot about the consumer behavior of owning and depositing uh, cryptos which is why you've heard me say this in the past when people say oh there's no use case for cryptocurrencies other than speculative holding and i'm like yeah well you don't know our industry and, and the industry i'm in where people across the world buy and sell these uh, video game digital items it is very hard to do it with uh, traditional payment processors because it's so expensive and it's slow. And if one guy's in China and one guy's in Brazil and one, one, one guy wants Brazilian Cruceros, the other guy wants uh, RMB, the Chinese currency, uh, it's very expensive when you're only dealing with small transaction dollar amounts under $20. When you have to do currency exchange, you know, like if you, people go to the airport and they got to cash out their USD for euros or yen, you know how big the fee is. Well, that happens when people uh, buy things um, cross-border. If they have to pay in a different currency, their payment processor may be happy to do it, but they're going to charge them an arm and a leg. Well, cryptocurrencies, it's universal. You don't have to convert out of it. To, to, for somebody in China, they can accept Bitcoin. You don't have to buy something else. And uh, our business has done very well by uh, allowing people to use cryptocurrencies the way they would Venmo or, or, or PayPal. So you would probably be the best test case to give us an idea of what's going on. Right now, as we're doing the show, let me do a quick screen refresh. We're at $8,842 for Bitcoin. Now, we've seen this race up to almost $20,000 a few weeks ago. Yeah. This is incredible, this this slide downward. Now, there's cloak and dagger scenarios out there. Uh, there's Some are saying that uh, this has been deliberate. It's been manipulated by the media. Uh, what, what do you think's going on? Sure. Uh you know, and I and I get it. Everybody, everybody's uh, wondering. And there's a there's a a thing about trading, whether it's stocks or currency or cryptocurrency. Uh, and I think it's generally true for most people that the last thirty days is what influences their opinions. If if what they own has been going way up in the last thirty days, they're really positive. Even if, you know, for the previous two years, it went nowhere and vice versa. You know, if uh, what, uh, May or so, April, uh, uh, Bitcoin was at $1,000. And uh, here we are in February the next year, and it's at almost $9,000. How many other investments have gone up nine times in, uh, you know, eight months? Uh, nothing. Yeah, nothing. nothing. And so uh, it, it, uh, uh, and yet, what is everybody saying? They're saying, oh, it's way down. And it's like, well, way down from what point? From the all-time high? Yes, it's at, uh, it's you know, off 60%. But uh, from where it was a year ago, it's up nine times. So it kind of, you know, this is where, uh, uh, you know, the facts you choose does matter. 
the, it, is, it, is, it is a fact that Bitcoin is down 60% in the last 30 days. It's a fact that it's up nine times in the last year. Well, which facts, which facts drive your opinion? And right now, I think most people are feeling uh, concerned. All I can say is, if you're concerned, go look at the Bitcoin chart. Go to coinmarketcap.com. It's easy to know why people are concerned is because they bought in at 13 or 14 or 15,000. Some. That's where the ones that are going, this is horrible. Not the people that bought it at 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000. Those are the ones that get what you're saying. It's the other side. Yeah, and as they say, darkest before the dawn. But if you are in the cryptocurrency space and you do not uh, tolerate 50% swings, then you should not be in the cryptocurrency space. I'm sorry, that is the nature of this. That is why we always say on the show, uh, it is highly volatile. So, you know, I, I, here's the experiment I would give you, Ken. If you had $1 of Bitcoin and you bought it at a dollar and it's now at 40 cents, would it ruin your life? No. Y you would not care, I'm pretty sure, right? Guys, that's how you need to think about it it's like the amount that you put in bitcoin is is a low enough amount that you can buy it and this goes for any crypto you can buy it and then check in on it once a year once every yes. six months that's the way to look at it. it's a long term and by the way i'm not saying 30 year like a, a, you're not buying a bond this is a two to three year process and if you want a dollar cost average you know, if you're gonna do $10,000 over the course of the year, do $1,000 every month at a fixed time, don't even look at the price. Just, just do it that way if you have to. But handle this like an investment tool. Don't play like day traders with this because you are gonna lose your hair. You just yeah. will. And, and mainly because the, uh, the swings up and down, there are reasons for them, but they're not easily uh, accessible reasons. You know, remember, this is a global market. There are things that happen in Korea that affect the price of Bitcoin on Coinbase. So it's a global market. Well, let's talk about that. That's where I want to go. That's where I want to go. Let's talk about some other news. So right now, uh, just hold on. Bitcoin, I, I have a feeling we'll start seeing all the sell-offs happen, which we're seeing now. And we'll have some at least a foundational position which is probably around 10,000. I thought it was 12,000 to be honest with you, but maybe 10,000, 9,000 is where its base is and from there it'll go up. And I think by the way, some of these legitimate falls are on the government side. You saw out of India, the uh, finance minister out of India saying, cryptocurrencies are not legal tender. Yeah, but we yeah. already know this. <laughs> we know these governments don't see it as legal tender, but for some reason, in these big countries, India and China, when they some, say something negative about crypto, it affects the markets. Yeah, it does, but those are the times when it's so great to be a buyer. Because, yes. because uh, look, it, if, if, if Bitcoin was going to be vulnerable and die anytime a mid-level government official criticized it, it would have, it would have been extinguished in 2011. Uh, you know, China has aggressively gone against cryptocurrencies three times. And the last time they did it in September, 2017, 
they drove the price from 4,300 to 3,000. What's it at now? 9,000. So, uh, in, uh, and China is very powerful and has a lot of control over this stuff with its citizens. So, uh, this this happens a lot. And uh, if people sell on that news, I would recommend people buy on it. Uh, let's talk about another country, and that's Russia. They have drafted a what they're calling a cryptocurrency bill. Uh, and it's all around this idea of digital financial assets. And this idea is to literally say, hey, we are going to accept this and utilize this in the future. They're setting the groundwork for something that's smart. And that is to recognize that this is part of the new economy. Yeah. And, you know, Russia is, has been uh, like uh, equivocating for several years. Uh, at times, government officials say it's illegal. And at times, government officials say, well, we really like the blockchain. And they invite Vitalik, you know, the, one of the co-founders of Ethereum, to go and present in front of Putin. <laughs> they have been inconsistent. Uh, and I think uh, it's obvious with all of the software development expertise in Russia that uh, it would be a natural thing for Russia to get behind the blockchain and cryptocurrency development. That's just how, uh, how it should be, given that they put such a big emphasis on, on software as a key export of theirs. And I think any country, including India, I mean, you know, India also known as a, uh, as a major hub of software development resources, you can't you just can't, uh, as a country, say we're going to ignore or prohibit people from working in this market because you're going to. It'd be like not doing anything with the internet. You know, come back ten years, and these other countries have sort of passed you by. Much of the global uh, banking system will have some blockchain component to it over the next ten years. I think many, many countries will issue currencies that are secured via a private blockchain. So that's that's going to happen. And, uh, you know, the part, probably the part that, that concerns these government regulators is there are a whole bunch of agencies that these governments have set up to regulate the movement of money among their citizens, and it's harder to do that with cryptocurrency. Unless the government is behind some type of localized currency, a government-based crypto. So if yeah. Russia comes out with their own, that's actually pretty smart then, then they're part of that, that blockchain environment with to whomever's exchanging that currency. Yeah, so whenever somebody talks about uh, uh, a blockchain or cryptocurrency innovation, you know, there's, uh, what we always have to do is we have to say, is this a good idea compared to what, right? So, as you know, I like uh, uh, what we call utility tokens. These are cryptocurrencies that perform some, some software function for consumers. And uh, I'm not as big of a fan of cryptocurrency used strictly to raise money for a company. Security. Security tokens. Security tokens. And, uh, and yet, if instead my comparison is... Uh, receiving as an investor a security token versus receiving a piece of paper in the mail that's a that's a stock certificate that doesn't trade anywhere 
and that uh, I can't secure very well. It's a piece of paper. Uh, compared to that, I think cryptocurrency security tokens are a massive innovation. And it's the only type of, of way I would want to hold a, an interest in a company going forward. This is Coin DMZ. I'm hanging out with William Quigley as we're talking about what's going on in the crypto space. So, William, let's talk about the Philippines for a second as we're going over different governments. The Philippines are saying, hey, let's create a construct. This is specifically with their, uh, their Securities and Exchange Commission, very similar to the SEC here in the States. And they want to create a framework all around the idea of governing cryptocurrencies and ICOs in the Philippines. Again, a smart move to see a country creating the framework. Yeah, yeah. And, and the Philippines has been sort of, uh, I think, slightly negative towards cryptocurrencies. You know, in this, in this continuum, I would say they are clearly not big boosters, but nor are they like Bolivia, where they think it's, you know, uh, created out of the you know the the pits of hell, uh, but the Philippines have been sort of like, eh, we're not really sure about this. And uh, I think any government that creates a regulatory framework, a new regulatory framework, is to be applauded because most countries, including the United States, have many different government agencies, each claiming that cryptocurrencies are theirs their mandate to, to, to manage and to regulate, and they're using rules and regulations from different things like stocks or commodities or real property and saying, we're going we're gonna to use those rules to regulate this cryptocurrency thing. And that doesn't make any sense. It needs to be an effort where these governments look at what cryptocurrencies are, look at how they work, and either create a new regulatory agency or create new rules within an existing agency, if, if that's what they want to do. You know, William, I want to kind of jump off countries for a second and talk about Western Union. Now, of course, Western Union makes a ton of money on people sending money across borders, remittances. Yep. I want to say a half a trillion dollar a year uh, industry. It's massive. We haven't heard much from those type of companies lately. Are they keeping it low or are they trying to create something? Well, I don't know specifically about Western Union, but you are right. Uh, they, uh, what, what the blunt force kind of uh, first application of cryptocurrencies is as a cross-border payment mechanism. That's sort of like the easy, obvious first use case to store value, mm -hmm. others can get it. Uh, which also happens to be something that uh, Western Union does as a business. But, you know, Western Union also has a lot of customers who are comfortable using it. Uh, they, they understand how it works, something not really true about cryptos for most of the population. So I don't think they're an eminent threat, but I also think that uh, Western Union itself has to work through an antiquated international banking network, and it would probably love to get some of the capabilities of the blockchain to make its business more efficient. But I also suspect uh, because it is a regulated money transfer provider, that company like Western Union has to go through a lot more uh, procedures. And it's tough. It's really tough because uh, there are no rules yet. So what the lawyers will tell you is, well, act as though it were X, Y, or Z. 
it's really difficult to sort of want to comply with whatever the governments want you to comply with, but there being no clear rules on what to do. But the idea of a Western Union, what it is today, is not going to exist in the near future because of this, because of crypto. Uh, well, well, here's what I would say. The idea that there is an entity that allows people to transfer money cross-border to other people will definitely exist. The mechanics of that, how that is done is going to radically change with the blockchain. I don't think, though, that should matter fundamentally about Western Union. Western Union should not be completely wed to, hey, our brand is about using an old banking network. I don't think most consumers know or care how Western Union transfers money. I think they just care that when one person deposits money in L.A., someone in the Philippines can pick it up. Got it. Okay, last thing before we jump into our ICO wrap, and that is uh, tax season's coming up. And I'm wondering, William, I know some people may have had some losses when it comes to crypto if they sold it, but how do you handle crypto and taxes, at least here in the States? Um, you really want me to say this on, on live podcast? <laughs> Why? Why? I, uh, well, I just, it's not how you handle it. How do you know, how do other people handle it? Put yeah, it that way. I guess I'm kind of joking a little, but, but, uh, this remember i just got done saying the regulators are like yep. old rules and all that so one of those regulators is called the internal revenue service the irs so the irs came out with some guidance i think in 2014 and said think of your cryptocurrencies as property well property can be exchanged for other property and you can defer the taxes on any gain you had uh when you do that i think that's called a 10 what a 1036 exchange uh, um well uh uh the new tax legislation that was signed in December of last year changed that. I don't know if it changed it for all of 2017, but going forward for 2018, um, there is a way you have to account for cryptos that wasn't obvious before. So, in the, so under the old regime, you could, uh, it, it seemed acceptable that you didn't have to pay any taxes if you didn't convert cryptocurrency into fiat, that is into back to like US dollars or real money. And it was unclear whether that was taxable or not if you just converted Bitcoin, let's say, into Ethereum. But now it's clear, anytime you sell a cryptocurrency, if you have a gain, you don't have to pay taxes on that. So just kind of hold onto it for a while. Don't. <laughs> well, what, yeah, I guess what it means is it's just like the stock market now. If you have a big, big capital gain in a stock, uh, you have to plan when do I want to take that capital gain? Because until you sell it, you don't have to That's report right. a gain. Well, now it's the same with The best cryptos. way to minimize it is to buy it, hold on to it for more than a year. That's it. Just kind of plan it out on the exit. That's, That's true. Do it. You get capital gains. All you. right. So uh, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, ICO. And ICO doesn't just mean an initial coin offering, does it, William? It does not. And we'll find out what that is. He's William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski. You're listening to Coin DMZ. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. It's Coin DMZ. William Quigley, Ken Rakowski, left side of the United States, looking at what's going on in the crypto space, and that means everything, including ICOs. And you think ICOs, you know what it means? Well, William Quigley, you had a chance to see a new use 
for the term ICO. What did you experience? Yes, I experienced the initial cookie offering <laughs> taking place. Where did you see this? Well, it was actually a, uh, uh, a website I saw put up by some sellers of Girl Scout cookies who it's hijacked the, the ICO name. And I was like, wow, they probably got really good SEO. That's the search engine optimization for you uh, digital marketing geeks. Really good uh, you know, Google search placement by, by uh, getting some drag off of the whole ICO phenomenon. And pretty funny too. It's smart. I mean, if you name your your lemonade blockchain, watch it go up in market value, right? Everything, yeah. it, it's true. It's true. If you use anything around these terms, things happen in a positive way right now because of all the buzz. But hey, let's talk about this on the second part of the show, and that is an ICO, initial coin offering, because I know you've gone through a uh, very similar ICO concept, and we've been watching one to two to three of them pop up every single day. There's got to be some do's and some don'ts when it comes to launching an ICO. What are some of the do's? Well, I mean, this is another one of those ones where you could spend, you know, many weeks. Uh, what are some of the do's? Well, do uh, have a competent lawyer, a competent tax. How do you find that? How do you find that lawyer? How do you find a lawyer that understands this? Well, if you go to a crypto conference or you go online and you look at what other ICOs are doing, Often they will mention the uh, corporate counsel that they've retained. So you could do it that way. And you, you really need someone who understands uh, the regulatory procedures for, for cryptocurrencies and for ICO issuance. And it's changing a lot. You know, the SEC has said uh, that it, it finds some of the... Uh, practices being uh, done by different ICOs to be objectionable. Um, again, there's not a lot of, of uh, really clear guidelines uh, for how to do this. Uh, I don't think it makes any sense to apply, let's say, an IPO type of uh, regulatory uh, framework to an ICO. Uh, what a lot of people are doing is what they call uh, uh, these... Uh, uh, Jobs Act, I think it's called Reg A, Regulation A, which is a uh, a, a crowdfunding, a crowdfunding yeah. way of going public, right? No, and not just crowdfunding, but yeah, but it's a procedure for people raising money from uh, what you'd call sort of the public uh, and doing it with uh, permission from the Securities and Exchange Commission. And some people are saying, well, they're going to go do the ICO using that same kind of process. But it's all being uh, developed and people are having to, to, to kind of uh, apply rules that didn't, weren't, weren't really made for ICOs. But step back real quick, William. When you say an ICO compared to a crowdfunding round, which is an equity round for a company, uh, the rights for the shareholder of a crowdfunded campaign is very different than someone that buys a token from an ICO, correct? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're saying, what's the difference between an investor who participates in an IPO versus an investor who participates in an ICO? Yeah, well, uh, uh, yes. as someone who's done both, I can tell you, I will take the ICO any day of the week, any day of the week. And the reason is because of liquidity, meaning it is 
much easier in many cases if you're in a smaller company or in this case if it's a you know new coin it's much easier to sell it you know to trade it for another crypto uh than uh it is to do this on a regulated stock exchange because often the trading volume for a new stock that comes out via ipo is very low usually that IPO stock only trades on one exchange. That exchange is open for eight hours or seven hours a day. Uh, you know, there are hundreds of exchanges across the world that trade these ICO coins and they're open 24 seven. So liquidity is much, much better. And it is true that with most ICOs, you don't have a claim on any part of the company that issued it. No, that's important because on paper, it would look like you have less rights and it wouldn't look as valuable being part of an ICO. But you're saying on the liquidity side, you're able to get in and out a lot faster. That's true. And uh, the main value of the, uh, uh, remember this is a, if it's a, if it's a utility token, this is a, uh, uh, a piece of software that performs some function. Think of it like an app you download on, an, on a phone, right? It's a piece of software and it performs some function. It helps you, you know, call a cab, it helps you book an airline ticket, it helps you play music, whatever it is. There's different apps that do different things. These coins, and they're, I should say tokens, because they're more tokens. These tokens are the same thing. They're pieces of software that allow you to do something. Uh, they might allow you to uh, engage in, in a smart contract where you can, have a transaction that only gets completed with the other party if that other party does something. That's called a smart contract. Some of these uh, tokens are, can be used for specific industries, help you uh, 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 arrange to uh, buy or sell something online uh, with someone you've never met, but you can do it safely because there's the, the coin or the token operates as a, as a digital escrow agent for you. You know, these, these, these tokens have many different use cases and, uh, uh, and you can literally, unlike an app, you can sell this token uh, and exchange it for another token. Imagine if you could download an app, a video game or something that you paid for and then trade that in for a music app. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? And you can do that on you this know? ICO th side. So, hey, good attorney, good attorneys that you brought up. You want to make sure you have a good uh, accountant yes. that understands this. Yes. Uh, you're saying the best place to go are these conferences. And that's another thing. You really need to go to these conferences. Don't think you're going to pull an ICO just out of your butt by reading a few things online. You want to go off and interact and really meet these people, a successful one. How important is social media to build social media before you do the ICO? That I have to say, I don't know. I'm not sure because... Uh, let's say you're building this new software platform on the blockchain and it's supposed to do something. I don't know. It's, you know, the dry cleaning industry. You're going to revolutionize the dry cleaning industry with this new piece of software. Uh, and uh, you may uh, want to uh, let lots of people know about what you're doing and buy this in advance. Essentially, they're buying a piece of software in advance, kind of like a Kickstarter program, right? Uh, you may want to do that uh, using social media, but there are uh, rules uh, uh, and depending if, if uh, 
government regulator says, well, this is more of a security offering, we think it's a security offering, then you know, security offerings have a lot of very specific rules around how you can solicit potential uh, buyers. And so I would just say there, is some, there are some people in, um, in uh, positions of like regulatory power who say, if there's a piece of software on a blockchain, by definition, uh, it's a security. And I, I think that's a crazy uh, stretch, but that's what some people say. Yeah, but I'm talking about social media. I know you are. Okay. And, and, and what I'm getting at is if your token is deemed a security and you use social media to promote uh, it, okay. you could be engaging in illegal advertising to raise money. Got it. Wow. Such a tricky little spot. So you want to say that's why you like utility tokens. Because once you're on that side, at least you don't have to, you you don't have to worry about the SEC. Uh, um, you don't have to worry about any of these uh, uh, federal and all these organizations that might be peeking down on what you're doing, right? Here's what I would say about just if you're if you're contemplating an ICO right now, uh, you need a good lawyer, and the lawyer needs to advise you on whether this. This uh, piece of software on the on a blockchain you're building is constitutes a utility token, which means you're selling software, and there's it's not a security, so it doesn't need to be regulated like security, or it is a security, in which case it has to be regulated like security. And I'm just telling you right now, uh, it is unclear how some regulators are going to make that determination, and as a result. Um, you do not want to to engage in an ICO without without uh, very good legal guidance. And I think we need to just stop from that point because it sounds like we're going to have to organize this in a I would say a more cons a way to where it's point A point B because you're right this is a whole show and we're only dedicating a few minutes to this. So next week, William, you're going to be in what is known as the weird city in Texas, right? Yes, I am going to be in Austin. So we're going to do half of our show in California, half in Austin. And uh, we'll keep you up to date what's going on. Again, show at coindmz.com. That's where you could find us. All right, William, I'm looking forward to hanging out with you. Of course, anything you need to know when it comes to what's going on in the crypto space, hang out with William and Ken. Thanks a lot for listening to Coin DMZ. Oh.